This podcast is brought to you by Bonus Room Productions and We Own This Town. I am Jason T. Mears Esquire. And I'm Kelly Hoyle Bullock. And we are San Dimas Today. How's it going, Kelly? JT, it is a pleasure to see you in person, my friend. It, it's, it's been a piece, man. It's been a piece. Um, it's great to sit at the table with you again. Yep. I want the listeners to know we are both fully masked. Uh, our producer, Michael, has set up this giant plexiglass barrier. All precautions are being taken as best they can, but we had to be in the same room for something. So it's we're thrilled to be here and actually seeing each other. It's just right. I miss you, dude. I miss you. Guys, we had such a great interview with Jonathan Leahy, the music supervisor for Face the Music, that we have a whole nother half of the interview for you. It's, it's really cool. Um, there's some... Insight into how the final scene scene came together. A lot of just other really information. I these interviews. I mean, I've loved every interview that we've done, but this one is the, like the first one. Where I was like, oh my god! If I were a Bill and Ted fan and I wanted something from a Bill and Ted podcast, this would be the type of thing that I would want. So I'm sorry it's taken 40 episodes, but we finally got you something good, guys. <laughs> yeah, we finally got it right <laughs> once, <laughs> once. Uh, yeah, so let, let's just dive into the second part of this, and uh, um, yeah, enjoy. Here we go. Excellent! Um, we got to talk about the the two actual Wild Stallions tracks, too, right? Yeah. Like Face the Music, and mm-hmm. uh, um, I'm blanking on the long name. The, the very long <coughs> wedding uh, song, right? That which, that, binds <laughs> us. that which binds us through time, the chemical, <laughs> yeah. physical, yes. biological nature of love. <laughs> yeah, it keeps going. So the, the, it's funny that I actually, I had to, I contacted Spotify and I was like, Hey, what's, what's the character limit on, uh, <laughs> on, on song titles? I think the character limit is 240. Okay. We made it on, we made it under the wire, but if you, if you really, if you really want to laugh, I suggest watch uh, using Spotify on a, on a small format mobile device phone or <laughs> similar and pressing play on that song and keeping using the, using the timeline to notice how far into the song you are by the time the title finishes scrolling across. The song's halfway over before yeah, you get to great. the end of the <laughs> song title. Anyways, yeah, uh, like I said, I, I, I've been stalking the subreddit and, and seeing people talk about the soundtrack and, and, and the previous movies. People, I, I noticed people using words like, oh, of course, of course the new soundtrack has Wild Stallions on it. And I think even like, a Rolling Stone review or, you know, some review was like, you know, the soundtrack includes bands X, Y, Z. And of course the wild stallions. And that wasn't the reaction yeah. I wanted. I wanted right. uh, the reaction I wanted was, Holy shit. It includes the wild stallions. Right. <laughs> well, well, that's how we reacted for sure. Yeah. Because that was the, that was one of the other things early in my notes of like John's dream wish list of what we could do. That would be fun that would also be new. So we're not copying what, what excellent adventure or bogus journey did. I was like, I think it's finally time to he- to put a wild stallion song Thank you. on the soundtrack yep. and, cr- and not do Here, here's my thing. A lot of people are like, Oh, I thought, I thought God gave rock and roll uh, to you was the song that saved the universe. It's a kiss song credited to kiss. <laughs> That Steve Vai plays uh, uh, an instrumental introduction to in the film that didn't make it onto the soundtrack, but then 
and also his solo is removed and whatever that has its own, own thing. But it's also, not only is it credited to Kiss and gets an assist from Steve Vai, but it's a cover of a song from the seventies. How is that going to be the song that saves the universe? Is it great? I think it's great. I love the end of Bogus Journey. I think the end of Bogus Journey is brilliant. Wouldn't change a thing. Well, maybe I'd have some of the people dance at the same tempo as the song. <laughs> but uh, it's like, the, like the, yeah, the entire world has just lost their sense of rhythm. Um, yeah, everyone's like, man, that, that, that's totally bogus. Like, this isn't the song that saves the universe. The God Gave Rock and Roll is the song that saves the universe. It's like, that's a Kiss song. Um, for whatever reason, whatever, making a soundtrack, making movies, complicated. It's a Kiss song, and it's a cover, and it has nothing to do with the Wild Stallions. Right. It does not match what, what Alex and Keanu and the princesses are doing on stage at all. So, yeah, I, I was like, this is a whole new, this is a new challenge. Keanu and Alex are going to play in sync with a song that is credited to Wild Stallions, uh, and we're going to do it not once, but twice in, in the movie and on the soundtrack. That seemed like an easy no-brainer. What will fans appreciate that hasn't been done before that feels both appropriate and respectful and also new? So, yeah, and, and I mean, I'm not going to lie. I really, really, really wanted Wild Stallions to have their own artist profile on Spotify and Apple Music. The fact, <laughs> the fact that we took an imaginary band and moved it into the real world in, in like an, or in a respectful, completely serious and earnest way. This is not a spinal tap thing. I don't know. I, I, that's one of the things I'm proudest of that we did it. Well, but, you're, you're going to be forever appreciated. You can go on Spotify now and go to the wild stallions artist page and it will tell you, Oh, listeners also like, Oh, what do listeners also like if they, if they like wild stallions? Well, they definitely like Robbie Rob and yeah. big black dog. Yeah. Yeah. And let's not forget Bricklin either. Oh, yeah. Bricklin. Yeah. And yeah. Bricklin, of course. Um, I, we've talked about this before. Um, you totally avoided the, the pitfall of the finding Forrester problem, right? Guys, Where, guys. I, so yeah. I listen, I listen, I listen to your podcast where you talk about this. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, I also, I've never been to New Orleans. Two things I haven't done in my life. Been to New Orleans, watched Finding Forrester. You don't have so. to do this. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah you seriously. Let's, we'll save you some time. <laughs> <laughs> but after I heard you say, oh, you know, they avoided the Finding Forrester situation, I, 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 of course, looked it up. I understand, yeah. If you set something up, if you spend 90 minutes saying, at the end of this film, you're going to hear the greatest speech or hear the greatest song, or, or see the greatest finished painting or whatever, then that's an impossible thing to achieve. I totally get it. And yeah, it's terrifying. That was another thing that we approached from the very beginning. We had Mark Isham working on it. Um, we had many, many third-party teams working on mock-ups of potentially the song. We did it a couple different ways. We had some teams working on it as an entire piece. And I have a super elaborate spreadsheet that's kind of like breaking down the roadmap of the song, which from the first note to the last note, we estimated was going to be about five minutes and 45 seconds. It's a little bit longer than that in the film. Um, but my, my spreadsheet has it broken down by 15 second intervals and all of the characters and all of the instruments and where things need to start and stop. And it was very, very nerdy. Anyways, so we, so we had some people tackle that. They're like, okay, this is the monster assignment. Like, mm-hmm. 
can you write a song that changes tempo at 45 seconds? It changes tempo because we have a piece of dialogue where Billy says faster Grom. And then at one minute and 45 seconds, uh, Mozart needs to enter because Thea goes over to Mozart. Also, the song needs to be great and, and super catchy. And it needs to start off sounding messy like a jam. And then, you know, Ed and, Chris, Ed and Chris's script was super detailed about it, which allowed me to, to create my spreadsheet breakdown. They would say things like, it, you know, at this point, it sounds really messy and it sounds like the players haven't quite figured out how to interact with each other. And the next page would say, oh, you know, Death and Grom have found a groove and it's starting... It, the rhythm section is starting to sound cohesive, but other people are still noodling and it sounds like a mess. So they were, they knew what they wanted to do. They, they, they could hear and they could see the arc of the scene in that way. I had a handful of people tackling the whole enchilada, trying to do all of it. I had an, an, a whole other set of people that were just trying to write a hook that sounded like a soccer stadium sing-along. Because again, going back to the global thing, I know that this is a goofy sci-fi comedy and that we don't have to play by, we don't have to play by the rules of believability. I think we all decided that if we're having people all throughout space and time collaborate on a song, it would be weird to hear modern English lyrics. And, and also, I mean, the, the, the expectations are already so impossible that you're going to hear the song that saves the universe. I mean, what are the lyrics that save the universe? <laughs> so, oh man. Uh, so that, so that's the other thing. Um, no set of lyric is ever going to be universal enough. But, uh, you know, there are plenty of examples of things that people just love to sing. Again, going back to my music snob, pitchfork, snarky, I hate everything that's not death grips attitude. Um, <laughs> yes, we know how much music snobs hate lyricless vocal sing-alongs. Fully, fully aware. One million, one million percent aware. I mean, Wynn Butler is in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, I guys, wasn't going to say it, but guys, yeah. we're aware. <laughs> but if you go to a soccer stadium with a hundred thousand fans, they're chanting the melody of Seven Nation Army mm-hmm. as a lyricless vocal. Yeah. That's what a yep. hundred thousand people do when they have no instruments and they need to communicate through song. So you can take your snark and your cynicism <laughs> and all of your BS, the, you know, I, I hate sing-along stuff. You can just forget it. First of all, if you came into this movie with an ounce of that snark running around your bloodstream, you're going to hate the movie anyway. So step one, rid yourself of snark, all ye who enter here. Like you have to go into this movie with the eyes of a child you, you do, have to. We, we, we've actually talked to people about this and folks that have gone in and like watched the, the movie the first time and they've had some uh, cynicism to them. They're like, well, we don't know about this. They didn't like it. But like if you had a bad day at work, if you had a bad day at work, you just had an argument with your spouse, mm-hmm. you're going to have a tough time with this movie. Yeah. 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 If, if you go into it just having eaten a good meal, the, you just got the kids down for bed. Whatever the case, if you go in, if there's a way, I know it's hard in the year 2020, but if you can possibly press play on this movie with a sense of calm and ease and optimism and somehow go into it without cynicism and snark, I think you, I think a lot of it will really change the viewing experience. 
we hosted a, uh, a drive-in showing here just outside of Nashville. And, you know, for me, I kind of had that experience of having a bad day, watching it by myself the night it dropped. And I was like, okay, this, something's underwhelming here. But by the time we, we were in the drive-in and, you know, we, we had friends around us, you know, his daughter's there, other friends have kids there. It was the most joyous viewing experience I think I ever had in my life. That's amazing. <laughs> Oh, it makes me so happy to hear that say that. Yeah, I mean, we so we get. I know we're talking about the end song, but yeah, we can talk about the details of how the end <laughs> song was made. Uh, that's like a whole other podcast. But when when we get to the end of the film, like you know, the last guitars are ringing out. Billy and Thea do their final, very brief voiceover, and you know that that again, the final voiceover is that's all Ed, Chris, and Dean Paris coming together to. They're like we're not going to hang around. We're not going to waste time. Like we just, we just played the guitar solo that realigned the planets. Like we're not hanging out. Good night. But <laughs> we did have this other thing, which was uh, conceived. I know that um, crowdsourced videos of everyone playing instruments at home has become all the rage in the quarantine. But this was, this was a concept that Ed and Chris came up with years ago. They're like, we, we're, we want fans to send in videos of them playing along to the song. Um, and we want that to be the thing that ends the movie. So it's just kind of weird timing that it ended up being <laughs> feeling kind of topical. Anyways, we're going to, so we're going to play the solo. We're going to have the girls explain that it wasn't the song. It was, it was everyone playing together. We're going to go straight into, uh, into the single cards and we're going to, we're going to launch into originally the song that your daughter loves right where you belong. That was going to be the first end credit song. That was going to go over the single cards with people playing along. Um, ultimately, we flip-flopped. As, as you know, we flip-flopped yep. and used uh, Cold War Kids instead. That's just my, favorite, up, that's my th- favorite on the soundtrack. That, that song. Just, just- yeah, it just ended up working a little bit better. They're both great songs. But we were like, let's just... I don't want to be too forthright about saying like we, we wanted to manipulate your emotions, but... That's we're, your job, we're, man. Nah, That's your job. We're, we're just like we're like after this movie, like you're feeling you're feeling so high, but we acknowledge that the ending is abrupt. So let's just like let's hit them again with a new song. Yeah, yeah. And then once the single cards are over, let's hit them again with an, another song. Um, we just wanted to keep a smile on your face from the moment that Alex and Keanu strap on their guitars, play a ninety-two second long solo. We go into. The Cold War Kids delivering an absolutely one of my favorite choruses of all time. By the way, that, that's just the Cold War Kids edit. It's just all chorus. It's just chorus, 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 chorus. While people uh, play air guitar and sing along at home. We're going to kill them with the Cold War Kids. And then we're going to go straight into right where we belong. Uh, sorry, right where you belong. And if you aren't feeling good after, <laughs> after all that massively anthemic, fun, positive music... Here's motherfucking uh, Weezer. Yeah. yeah. And af- after all that, we're going to come down. We're going to go to black. We're going to start our, we're going to start our end final crawl. And we're going to give you a brand new Weezer song that includes <laughs> my favorite guitar solo from them, from their entire oh. catalog. And also the most Bill and Ted lyric that's ever been written. Watch us brush off the dust in heavy metal. We trust. Yes. That's yes. it's great. The way the Weezer thing came about. I, I, I listened to your podcast. I heard, I heard you all talking about Weezer. Like you, at the beginning, I would have thought that Weezer was an odd choice for the film. It's not a natural fit in my brain. A couple of things. Number one, 
Weezer's first show in 1992 was on the same bill as a band called Dogstar. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Number oh, one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Okay. Connection already. I mean, that's. Uh, yeah. Incredible. Number, t- number two. Rivers loves Kiss. Mm-hmm. Knew that. I don't need to connect the dots here. We can go yeah. from we can go from Wild Stallions to Weezer with only one in only one move. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so there's that. Next up, Rivers is a fan of the franchise, which is like a sine qua non for participation in this film. You have to be into the franchise. It's just not gonna it's not gonna work if you're not, and we're not gonna have fun. So all those boxes checked. Rivers was awesome. Sent me as someone who who was a, a huge fan. You know, uh, my trajectory of Weezer fandom, it may be somewhat like yours. Uh, listened to the early albums when I was younger, drifted away, starting to come back now. But like, listen to the new stuff with open ears. He sent us so much music. He's famous. He has like a Prince-esque vault of unreleased music. Um, he sent us a ton of music to consider. He wrote us some some custom ideas for the for the end song, for the sing-along song. And then at one point, um, his people at, at Crush Management sent a batch of, of finished tracks and they were like, do you like any of these? I listened to all of them. And when I heard this, I was just like, stop the presses. Like, all right, that's, that's it. I mean, one thing that doesn't get talked about, I guess we haven't talked about it, is that's not the, that's not the Weezer edit of the song that's the wild stallions edit of the song and that it might sound like maybe it was just like put on there for kicks or just to be cheeky we changed the song and rivers gave us permission to change the song for the movie so that's another thing just the fact that we have weezer and wild stallions (laughs) living together on a song is kind of amazing to me and the you know the dog star connection is ridiculously satisfying on a nerd level <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> anyway so not not every weezer song is going to work in the film but this song does um and i just it's i think it's i feel like it's a home run i'm glad to see that fans are digging it and um we talked about like threading the needle of just like giving you a hint of nostalgia without doing straight up nostalgia dave Grohl is in the film weezer's in the film these are two of the only rock artists that I can think of. I'm probably wrong. I apologize to everyone I'm forgetting, but two of the only rock artists that have been making relevant kick-ass rock music since the days of Bogus Journey. There's, until, there's another one that you've forgotten. Until now. also appears in the film, um, Weird Al Yankovic. Well, Weird, oh. Weird Al. <laughs> I mean, of course, yes. Sorry. Weird, Weird, Weird Al does, does appear. Thanks, Jason. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to let that go. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty awesome. That was a surprise to me. I didn't know that was going. <laughs> so cool. Um, anyways, so I feel like there's something about Dave Grohl and and Weezer that gives you like a little a touch of nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Maybe makes you remember a mixtape you made in the '90s without hitting you over on the head, hitting over the head with it. Also, you can't make a Bill and Ted movie without like having these folks involved, right? You can't. Yeah, yeah. You can't do it without having a Win Butler there or. You know, um, you know, right. you look at Clarence Clemens as one so, of the, the most so, yeah. important, or Fee Waybill, yeah. which is like that's you know. I mean, come on, deep. come on, Fee <laughs> Waybill. I put a tube song and the and the mix I made for Apple with Dean. I put a tube song to. Uh, oh, that's uh, awesome! Yeah, and uh, right. and uh, anyways, 
yeah, come on, how weird were those for the those cameos are just so weird. And that's another thing. I got to tell you, one of my favorite moments working in the film was in the studio pre-recording Christian Scott. I got to offer him his cameo. So he gets to be one of the most important people in the world or future counsel or whatever you choose mm-hmm. to call it. Christian Scott, the person that's playing Louis Armstrong Horn's part is in the film. And the reason I, I insisted on him getting that cameo is because of Clarence Clemens. If you're going to have a horn legend in the first film, I would like a horn legend in the second yeah. film or in the third film rather. Yeah. So that's, but like, that's very abstract and very, very I, I nerdy. Think you deserve, I think you deserve a medal. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask about uh, Kid Cudi, right? Um, yeah. Featured prominently in, in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, not on the soundtrack. Not on the soundtrack. So he was, uh, the, the beginning of the movie, and this is a question that is much better answered by the proper filmmakers, Dean, Ed, Chris, Scott, Alex, Alex Keanu core team, they can answer this better than I can. But I can tell you that the beginning of the movie changed a lot. And the version that that you all saw was kind of a late addition. What was previously the beginning of the film was it started with a with a full blown Kid Cudi live performance. And it was great. But it was it was a little bit, you know, obviously as as you, as you can tell, there, the decision was made that we need uh, some type of segue. It's been 30 years. You know, whatever the decision-making process was, I'll leave it to them to discuss. But is it too jarring to be 30 years away from these characters and then just jump into a Kid Cudi concert? Or do we need something to, to, to segue? And so ultimately, the opening scene, which was Kid Cudi performing and then disappearing into the... Uh, tearing space-time fabric um, <laughs> that ended up getting replaced. And you can see some of the footage in the film. You see him performing and he gets replaced by Jesus eventually. So some of that footage remains, but the music performance itself didn't. But yeah, it was going to be, uh, talk about Cheeky, it was going to be his song Erase Me as, as he disappears. <laughs> and that, yeah. was, that was one of the last things actually shot, right? I remember there being a, a call like maybe little over a year ago where they're like yeah. hey come to la we're gonna do yeah. this you that know, was that was the last thing we shot that was a that was a really fun day as you know you can imagine there's bill and ted fans there there's kid cutty fans there it's just a lot of love a lot of enthusiasm a lot of energy and you know they got to see you know erase me is a great song these kid cutty fans got to see him play uh a hit 50 times <laughs> he did it a lot of times they they really like the, those fans were in for a treat and he was awesome like he was fantastic that day what made the day even more fun for me was that was also the day we shot dave grohl's cameo before kid cuddy arrives before the crowd arrives we put up a green screen in that same venue dave grohl walks in and we shoot him against the green screen saying <laughs> who are you? What are you doing in my house? <laughs> um, and that, that green screen footage was comped into the, uh, you know, the scene where obviously where Alex yeah. and Keanu are in his mansion. So that was a bit of movie magic. I don't know if it was, if it was obvious to the viewer at home that that was a green screen. Wasn't uh, to me. No, um, yeah, that, that one got by me. I will say the president's most recent uh, video was way more of a green screen <laughs> than, than that. So, so yeah, uh, Dave, Grohl, Dave Grohl was in and out, 
in, uh, you know, he was in and out in 45 minutes, came in, you know, did a little prep rehearsal lines. Um, he did it 10 different ways. Dean Parasol gave him a high five and, and he was out. I did get to hang out with him for a while and talk about, we get to, first of all, he's the nicest person on planet earth. It goes, I sound like really saccharine about this, but like all of these people, all of these people involved and the reason why Face the Music feels like Face the Music and has this positivity and optimism and uh, is because to a person, everyone is a sweetheart. Dave Grohl, awesome sweetheart. I, after he finished shooting, I was like, hey man, can I talk to you for a second? We have this scene right before the scene you just shot where they listen to a song that we're pretending is yours from five years in the future. Mm -hmm. And it has to be so beautiful that it makes Alex and Keanu cry. And I was like, is there any chance that you have something like that lying around? <laughs> <laughs> this perfect song from five years in the future. Um, and long story short, the way that the scene played, uh, we didn't end up needing it. They, they, they put on headphones and there was some Mark Isham score playing. And it was ultimately it was like, it was too fast to try to cram something in there to make you, the viewer, believe, especially if you're going to futz it so quietly and make it sound like, you know, what you can hear if you're uh, standing outside of someone's headphones. You know, I'm not sure we're going to convince you that it's beautiful by mm -hmm. playing five seconds of a song that's futz like it's in headphones. So ultimately, we didn't end up doing it. But I did make the, <laughs> I did, I did uh, get a chance to make the request. And he's like, he was, he was very, he was, they're working on their new record. He's like, yeah, man. Yeah, all right, I'll, I'll cook something up. So, yeah, he was the best. Uh, Scott Kid Cudi was awesome. And that was just a really, really fun day. Yeah, I think that was the final, the final day of shooting. And there were some, again, I, I told you guys before, I don't want to get into the would have, could have, should have, but there were, you know, there were more things planned to be shot that, that COVID put the, uh, unfortunately, shut down. Yeah, and, you know, that's kind of part and parcel with making a Bill and Ted movie, too. I mean... Um, you know, it was funny. I saw every, uh, not everyone, but a lot of outlets were saying the movie is uh, 78 minutes long. Right. And I, I was like, guys, just because, just because Bill S. Preston says at one point we have 78 minutes does not make the runtime of the movie <laughs> 78 oh, minutes. Um, I, no. Yeah. The movie's uh, 92 minutes long, I think, yeah. which is, I, I, it's like exactly the length of the first two. I, I think a lot of that just came down to the fact that, um, this was getting released in the COVID era and there was so little for people to talk about that they were glomming onto anything that they could. Oh yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, any bit that could have been news was news. Yeah. If it wasn't news. We talked about uh, the drummer Grom mm -hmm. uh, and we talked about my priorities when first reading the script. And I told Dean that one of the things that I insisted upon was casting a professional drummer to play Grom. You know, you can get away with faking Jimmy's guitar playing hands. You can get away with faking Mozart. You can get away with faking Louis. But like, there's just no faking drums. It's gonna look, it's gonna look like garbage. So, <laughs> fortunately, we cast Patty Ann Miller, fantastic drummer, and again, one of the nicest people to work with. Just like such a fantastic collaborator. Uh, she was great. She performed her own drum parts. You hear a lot of Patty Ann's actual on-set drum performances in the film, which I think is really cool. Um, we took a lot of care to match as closely as, as possible uh, her, 
her movements during the final sequence at MP46 with our recording. So Patty Ann was great. We got Christian Scott to play Louis Horn. Uh, for Mozart, I hired a multi-instrumentalist named Ray Swen, who's he's done amazing stuff with amazing artists. He's probably best known for being Lord's music director. Oh, okay, yeah. So when you see Lord, and he play, he plays every instrument. Um, when you see, if you watched Lord on her most recent tour, he was the long-haired gentleman playing guitar, okay. playing bass, playing keyboards, playing everything. Uh, he's also uh, a fantastic violinist. So when I get to the scene that says Jimi Hendrix battles with Mozart, it's going to be so much easier if I can if it can just be one stop shot. So I'm like, I call Ray Swen. We had Ray. I think we had Ray pre-record a version of it. Um, so before we shot the scene, he just did his his audio interpretation of what it might sound like. Um, and like almost everything else I pre-recorded for this film, it got thrown away immediately and the actors just did whatever they wanted on set. Good news is they were all, they did great stuff and it's very funny. And then, and so when the scene got cut together, I just called Ray back and said, Hey, your pre-record uh, was thrown in the trash. We need you to do it again. And now you need to reverse engineer it and make it sound like what we see. I mean, he did it 20 more times before we got to where it is now, which I think is really funny. And it seems to be, uh, it seems successful to me. It seems to get a laugh. The, the other Wild Stallions track, That Which Binds Us Through Time, that we didn't get a chance to talk about. We also did, I think we did 32 different versions of that pre-recorded. And Dean, the director, chose his favorite. And we were going to play back that on set. And Alex and Keanu were going to, uh, to mime along to it. And like everything else, the pre-record was thrown away. And, but in a good way, Alex, Alex and Keanu were just like, we got this. We're going to do our own thing and it's going to be awesome. And God bless them because that's exactly what happened. They, <laughs> they, threw, they threw away the roadmap and they just did their own thing. And it's, and I think it's hilarious. Like yeah. the extended, yeah. the extended cut of that scene is even is twice as funny. <laughs> um, but at some point you have like, at some point chief Logan has to pull the plug. So it's just a matter sure. of sure. when, when sure. do you do it? Um, so we had so, like I said, 32 different versions of the pre-report. We had, we tried it so many different ways. Uh, ultimately the version you hear in the film was done by a composer named Kubele Uner, who did a great job. And uh, guys, I can't tell you how long we obsessed about what this should sound like. Obviously we were locked into the instruments, bagpipe, trumpet, log drum, steel drum, theremin, et cetera. But as far as how good it should be, endless, endless conversations. <laughs> and, you know, the, the whole thing about the end of Bogus Journey is that, they, is that they use the time machine to get good at music. Right, right. And now, right, yeah. So, A, they're not bad at music. In addition, they've had 30 years to practice. So they're not bad at music. But, I don't know, kind of like, I'm not going to name anybody in particular, but you know how some of your pop or rock heroes later in their career make a free jazz album. Maybe they've just, they've become bored with the, the frame with that, that pop music puts around them and they just want to branch out and do something weird. We kind of looked at it that way where they're like, they've been trying to find the song for 30 years. They haven't found it. And now they're just like, they're lost in the forest and they're reaching for anything that might work. So they're, they're trying they're, they're trying different instruments. They're trying different genres. They're trying to mix it all together. So that was what we wanted to do. We wanted to capture 
eclecticism and a spirit of musical discovery and weirdness, um, but not have it be incompetent and not make them look like buffoons. Good. It sounds good. Like I, like when we saw the soundtrack listing and we saw the name of track 13, when we talked about it, we were like, okay, yeah, that is absolutely going to be the wedding song. That's going to be the wedding song. And my initial thought was, okay, it's going to be just a throwaway, but it's going to be funny and cute that it's at the end. I listen to the whole damn thing. Every time when I go through the album, I like, I listen to it all. It's great. It's enjoyable. <laughs> I'm glad. Well I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoy it. <laughs> uh, Kublai did a great job. And uh, yeah, it just, it mixes thing up. It had, you know, I had one other main job to do in within our story, which was it had to be really awkward to dance to. Because we <laughs> had heard to, about this, we had we had to show Deacon and and Missy struggling to to find a way to dance to it. <laughs> so again, like the end song, I want to go back to the end song real quick. Um, yeah, but um, like the end song, it was not just a simple paint by numbers thing. Like make a weird song. It had to tell the story of them being competent musicians, being willing to try anything to discover the song that saves the universe and also be hard to dance to. <laughs> so that, that's, that's how, that's why it sounds the way it sounds. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I've got to ask a few more questions that are not actually Bill and Ted related, but while we have you on here, um, how did you get into this line of work? I, I played in a bunch of uh, bands like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I, I was playing in a band and we were on tour opening up for Mike Andrews, who had just had a hit with, the Mad World cover on the Donnie Darko soundtrack. Yep. And uh, Mike, as a composer, had worked with Manish and Tom, who founded Aperture Music, which is the company that, to this day, I still work, I work at. And Aperture Music is, just happens to be a small four-person company uh, of independent music supervisors. Independent meaning that we work for any studio uh, production company that hires us. So, yeah, I mean, I, f- I fell into it. I w- when I first moved to Los Angeles, I was working as a production assistant on a TV show and playing in bands at night. So I ended up with like a knowledge base, a skill set, and a Rolodex that combined film and TV people with music people. And when Manish and Tom, uh, it was just them at that point, and they, were, they wanted to add a, th- a third member to the team and kind of mentor someone from scratch, I, it was a no-brainer for me. I was like, this feels exactly like me. That's fantastic. Oh, here's something I want to say. No one's ever asked about it, and I kind of wanted to get to talk about it. So I'll just talk about it, which is the end song is not really a song. Like we, t- we talked earlier mm-hmm. about the lyricless vocals, the, you know, the gang vocal chants, and we're tr- trying to be, uh, capture the spirit, at least, of uh, a football stadium full of people singing along with each other. But... Prior to those vocals and prior to Bill and Ted's big guitar solo, it's not a song. It's actually score. And that was what, that's what Dean told me from the very beginning. He was like, he's like, I know that you want to make this into a pop song. (laughs) He's like, I know you want to be big and great and, you know, be structured, but that's not what we're doing here for the first like five minutes of it. It has to be score because this is the music that's going to be playing during so many of the most important moments. Like there's so many really important story beats and emotional beats that happen once the, once the band starts playing. And once the band starts playing, it's really hard to lay score on top of it. So his request was that first and foremost, the end song 
has to work as score. So when uh, Bill and Ted and the princesses go in the phone booth, there's a really tender moment in there. And it's, the music is very, it's kind of subdued and Mozart's just starting to play and it kind of scores that. And then one of the next beats is the phone booth taking off and becoming infinite and the music crescendos on that beat. Um, and then we co- come back to the daughters and the music starts progressing and growing. And then of course, when the phone booth lands, all the Bill and Ted go all throughout space and time. And we go into like a bridge section that is just kind of a mellow scory type thing that handles them handing out instruments. And uh, Ted saying, I, you know, in case you haven't noticed, I'm essentially an infinite being, <laughs> but most importantly to Dean and I think everybody was that it, when the phone booth lands back on stage or back near the stage and Bill and Ted emerge and the princesses emerge to see what their daughters have done, it needs to really grab you by the heart. And it's a little bit of synchronicity is that it needs to grab you by the heart. And it's also the moment where Billy and Thea have really gotten the music to, to start working uh, on a higher level so that those two things go hand in hand. So that works. And then, you know, there's all kinds of modulations and, and uh, rhythmic changes within it that we use as musical devices to keep you from getting too bored. Cause it's a long piece of music. And then of course we need to, the way they shot Bill and Ted starting their solo was Dean decided to not do it like a huge glamor shot. Like it's not a crane shot of them uh, one, two, three, four. And then you get this big hero shot with a, with wind blowing through their hair. It's a much more subtle entrance and it's, it's much more like, are they going to pull this off? Is it going to be good? It doesn't start off timidly, but they kind of ease into it. So the music had to be constructed to support that type entrance. The guitar solo had to be, I mean, <laughs> the first cut of it, it was a 60 second guitar solo. And I was like, you, you probably all don't sit around and time guitar solos with a stopwatch, but I do. And <laughs> yeah, the average guitar solo from George Lynch of Dokken was between 28 and 32 seconds, 30 seconds for a really like over the top guitar solo. 30 seconds is good. I would have to time, you know what? I haven't timed the beat it solo. I bet that one's closer to 45. But anyways, a minute long guitar solo is already insane. But then they had, they, while they're discovering the picture edit, they realized they had more story to tell and more stuff to show. And they had to expand the guitar solo into 90 seconds. So uh, we just had to keep building and building and editing. And we, uh, we did a lot of work to get the solo where it is today. And the solo itself, that's another thing. It's like, it's not super, super, super flashy. It's not a, a complete pyrotechnic display. We're like, these are older Bill and Ted. They're more mature players. I mean, it's still, it still displays virtuosity all over the place. Sure. But it's a little more mature, a little more restrained is not the word. It's a little more just like melodic. Like you can sing that yeah. solo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not, it's not eruption. Yeah, it's not, it's, it's not eruption. Although there, there's plenty of super fast virtuosic passages in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, those are, those are kind of hidden and those are kind of subtle and it's mostly just a melodic harmonized solo, much more in like the spirit of a Brian May than, uh, than Eddie Van Halen. Anyways, all those pieces had to come together, but we're also like, we're matching everything you see on screen. When Patty Ann is playing the drums, all the drum hits are perfectly synchronized. 
And when they go to Wrigley Stadium and people are playing recorders, mm-hmm. um, you know, and when Jesus plays the cowbell, like <laughs> all, all of these things are hit and are worked into the arrangement. But How did you survive that? Because that seems like the most complex endeavor that humanity has ever. It was, <laughs> it was, it was pretty tortuous. It was, it really consumed, it consumed my life for, for many months. The, just the number of revisions and, uh, you know, the finishing a piece like this is like, you're kind of playing a tennis match with the picture editor. Mm-hmm. They're constantly making changes and like, you don't understand, but like, you can't just add a second. Like, what am I going to, how am I going to, how am I going to add a second of music and keep it musical? Um, and so there are a couple of, con- there are a couple of concessions to the trickiness of, of playing back and forth with the picture editor. There are a couple bars of three. It's the song is mostly in four, four. Mm-hmm. but there are a couple bars of three hidden in there. Um, I don't know if you do, do those strike you as listeners. Not me, Kelly, maybe. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I don't know if it hit me as much. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't think I probably would have noticed that <laughs> that time signature change. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're, they're, you know, we did things to disguise them, but uh, yeah, we, you have to get like really, you have to get really technical and, and nerdy when it comes to the song construction to keep everything in sync. And, you know, mostly just trying to like, you know, look at it from have the 30,000 foot view of it. Like is the arc of the song, is it building, but most importantly, going back to Dean's request that it work as a piece of score, forget everything else, forget it being a pop song, which it's not. What, what effect does it have on the viewer? And you two have been complimentary about, about the end of the film affecting you in a, in a powerful, positive way. And I've seen, I, I, like I said, I, I, I've indulged myself in reading the comment section. People will say, I've seen people say things like, I, I hate the end song, but I, I, or they'll say I was, the end of the film made me cry. I had all the feels, but then they say, I hate, I hate the end song. And I guess my answer to that is, well, that's, that's, you're, that's fine. You can feel both those things, but my response would be, well, we did what we were, we did exactly what we were trying to do the prime directive was make people hit all the emotional and story moments and make people feel what we want them to feel, which is happiness and energy and optimism and and the the love between daughter daughters and fathers. And again, I can put on my snob glasses and, and I fully understand why (laughs) someone would hate the end song, but you, you just, you can't watch this, this movie with those glasses on. Talking about that last song, something else, um, because I've listened to the soundtrack. I, I kid you not, my daughter and I drive around. One of the fun things we do in COVID time is we just drive around for an hour every weekend and listen to music. And she's been all about the soundtrack, which I don't mind at all. Listening to the final song, it's almost like a Peter and the Wolf type thing for us because she'll be in the back seat and she's like, Oh, there's Mozart. And I'm like, yep, there, there's Mozart. And then she's like, there, there's Jimi Hendrix. And I'm like, yep. And, and the different instruments play and they're keyed into the characters. It just works really, really well. and manages to tell the, the, the final story without even seeing it on the screen, having watched it. And it's really cool. Yeah. I, I, I will take some credit. I personally did personally myself in the pro tools session here at home did the final edit of turning what's in the film into what's on the soundtrack. The final mix that you hear on the soundtrack was done by an amazing mixer named Tony Hoffer. But the edit of turning something that was about six minutes long into something that's about four and a half minutes long, I 
did, I took out a bunch of bars <laughs> because there was some, especially when they first get in the phone booth, it's, it gets a little repetitive. And so I kind of just cinched it all together so that it would tell that story succinctly. Here's Grom, here's Death, here's Mozart, here's Jimmy, here's Lingland. Uh, and I'm so glad to hear you say that as you listen to it, you can hear, you can hear the story unfold because that was 100% what we were trying to do with the edit that, that goes on the soundtrack. You can just put it on and you can, you're there with the characters and you can see each one stepping up to the mic. Nailed it, man. I mean, honestly. <laughs> I'm, I'm, dudes, I'm really, uh, yes, I just said dudes. Is that my first, <laughs> is that my first dudes uh, of the night? It is, yes. yeah, yeah. Dudes, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy that you enjoyed the film. I'm so happy that it's growing on you. I, I, it makes me endlessly happy that you find more joy in the film when you watch it with other people and when you watch it with your daughter. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it was just made. Alex Winter has has gone on the record already saying this, so I'm not speaking out of school. Um, like the the movie was is held together with chewing gum and and uh, paper clips. Like mm-hmm. it was just barely made. There's just so much external things that you couldn't control from uh, locations to budgets to to schedules availability everything just it was crazy and the only reason it exists is because every person in every department was like i'm making this movie i want to make this movie that we have to find a way to get this to the fans so that that's how it even exists you can totally tell watching it. And I mean that in the best possible way, not like, Oh yeah, this is under shoestring. Like, like I can, I can see thing. the chewing gum. I can, <laughs> right. all, I can almost taste the chewing gum. I mean, you can just tell the love crafted with it. And, and I know for Kelly and I, who we've obsessed over these movies for decades, just getting to see that love reflected back to us on screen. I mean, th- this was a total love letter to a fan and, and it wasn't in a uh, shameless pandering way either. You're talking about, we talked about like all the ways you could have gone, we could have gone wrong. I mean, in the music department and in all the departments, there, there's the two different, there, there's like the two gutters on either side that I saw, which was we put Iron Maiden and a, and a bunch of, stuff that's purely meant to be nostalgic fan service in there. And that's all we do. And that's like one gutter. And then on the other hand is we try to do a update where we just make everything super cool and super 2020. And I kept seeing like, you know, when you see like a 50 year old dude, like wearing clothes that are meant for a teenager and it just makes you sad. It doesn't yes. make, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't give you joy. It makes you sad that felt like the other gutter, like just trying so hard to recapture and pretend that we were all 18 again. It would have been really easy to, to, to do that. And I think if this movie had been done by a different studio in a different way, there might've been people that insisted on that. Like, no, like this has to, every song has to be a pop song and it has to be super current. And so whatever, those are the two big things that to avoid. And yeah, I don't know. It's just a lot of walking a, a middle path. You certainly have something that I think for, for that reason, for a lot of the reasons we've been talking about, it's going to be that rewatchable, just like the first two movies, I think 10, 20, 30 years from now, I don't feel like it's going to be dated. I mean, I can just tell because, you know, I've, I haven't watched it as many times as Jason has, but I've seen it probably <laughs> four or five times at this point, And it, it, it seriously is better each time, each time I see it, I, I feel like for whatever reason, it grows even more on me. So. Awesome. 
Well, guys, this has been an awesome conversation. We it's, really, yeah. really appreciate you. Yeah, you it's been great. Out taking the time uh, for this 12-part series. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing you guys got Ken Burns to sign up for this. I know. Yeah. It's, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. <laughs> um, I need you to send us a lot of photographs now. We need a lot of stills. Yeah. From- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, man, thanks again. I, I can't wait to see what, what you're working on next. Um, this has been so insightful so illuminating and just been a joy to talk to you about the process and thank you again for all your hard work on, on uh, face the music because just just delightful the whole thing has been my pleasure and uh thank you guys for for reaching out it's really fun talking to you i say it every episode but that was so great yeah that was just so great we can't thank jonathan uh, en- enough uh, because you know even, even though we edited this down a little bit that was like a two and a half hour phone call we had late night and all three of us had just a blast and it was just a real pleasure getting to know him. I'm sure he's going to keep doing amazing work. The guy's just got a stellar career already. Uh, He's had his hands in so much stuff. We didn't even get to really talk to him about his work uh, on community, which he wasn't the main guy on, but mm -hmm. like he worked on and fused with the folks that he (sighs) didn't, didn't really talk about girls that much. Right. And, uh, I remember watching that show week to week and some of the best episodes, it were the music choices that, that were in. Yeah, that yeah. show. Like it, it, the main takeaway from this, and it's something that we've all known because everybody listening to this is a little bit of a movie buff. But uh, the music supervisors are really the the wizards behind the curtain, right? They're really the ones pulling the emotional levers, nudging you and how you're supposed to feel when you watch it. And if you do it well, it's invisible. And if you do it great, it, it moves you more than you would expect to. And this guy really has a knack for it. Yeah, just great. Can't thank you enough, Jonathan can't thank our producer michael eads enough for helping get that interview together and uh we can't thank uh scott bricklin enough for letting us use walk away as our theme <laughs> yeah. song and thank you scooby tunes music uh thank you guys all for listening uh this is this has been quite an epic season and looking forward to, to bring you more stuff uh in the meantime be excellent to each other party on dudes Yeah, that's fine. Or not? I mean, it's just so short, you know? That's that's fine. Or we could try it your way. I don't... (laughs)